Welcome to Spark, Careers in Agribusiness, where we meet the most accomplished leaders in agribusiness today. Learn how each of the women and men featured has built leadership into their life's work and what advice they have for young people just beginning their careers. Your host for Spark is Sarah Stever, President at Paulson. Well, welcome to this episode of Spark. Our guest today is Sherry Seeger, Director of Major Accounts and Digital Strategy at DTN, the Progressive Farmer. She is a graduate of Purdue University. So in full disclosure, Sherry and I have been friends for a long time, and we served together on the National Agri Marketing Association Executive Committee. We've served together there for almost two or three years. Sherry will be president of our organization in a little over a year from now. She's really important to that organization and been pretty key to its growth and where it's headed. So Sherry, can we start out by having you tell us about your current role and what a perfect workday is like for you? Absolutely, Sarah, and thanks for that nice introduction. Boy, in my role as, um, you know, Director of Major Accounts and Digital Strategy at DTN and the Progressive Farmer, it's essentially a sales role. And what I do is certainly try to match our media offerings with those things that my clients need to help talk with farmers and ranchers every day. So, you know, I try to implement print and digital offerings as well as some event opportunities to help our our advertising clients, advertising agencies, companies speak with farmers and help create those relationships um, through, you know, our credible editorial sources. My perfect day, I think, is you know, one of those days where I get a, a lot of proposals out, I get a lot of things matched up, and the perfect day is when I end up with a very clean inbox in my email. And I can honestly say I can't tell you the last time I've had that perfect day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you on that one. So, you know, what, what DTN Progressive Farmer does, just so our audience understands, is they're mm-hmm. one of the trusted sources of information that farmers and ranchers rely on when they're making decisions for their operations. You know, we have a lot of opportunities, both within the, the magazine, The Progressive Farmer, and uh, DTN Satellite, which is a satellite information delivery system, as well as some online offerings. And then we have our uh, public website that anybody can visit, and that's dtnpf.com. And how long has DTN been around? DTN was started probably 30 years ago, and it was a forerunner to the internet. You know, it was satellite delivery of real time markets, weather information to farmers out in the country that, you know, needed that to help. Uh, make planting decisions, make marketing decisions, and, you know, business decisions. And, uh, you know, it's a business that has evolved. That satellite is still out there and, and is very active, as well as the online Internet offerings. Things have changed so much in agriculture and how our producers are consuming information has gotten really mobile. And it's kind of fun to just have seen how that evolved from those very, very early days of monitors sitting in every, you know, farm kitchen. (laughs) Absolutely. You'll still see some sitting around um, some elevators today. (laughs) It's still in the mix, although, you know, there's a lot of, of advanced technology now. So for our audience, why don't we take a look back and explain to them what your life has been like and how you got to the point you're at in your career. And let's Maybe start with your early childhood or your early life. Sure, sure. You know, I am the youngest of five kids, and my four older brothers and sisters are all 
four years older than me, and they were all born within a time span of exactly four years. So they were the lead pack, and I was the wow, runt of the litter. <laughs> and I was a straggler. But, you know, boy, what that taught me is to really know how to take a punch. <laughs> but I think more importantly in terms of, you know, how it affected me as a person and in my career, when you're in that situation, you you quickly learn to compromise. And you also learn that you don't always get what you want. But sometimes, you know, a good temper tantrum, you know, can get you the attention you need. <laughs> And, uh, all, all but you don't want to lessons. use that tactic too much. <laughs> Those are all good life lessons for navigating your Absolutely, too. yeah. You can stomp your foot and hold your breath only so many times before it gets old. <laughs> so where did you grow up? We moved around a little bit. I was originally from downstate Illinois near Quincy. My family moved to Bismarck, North Dakota in 1970, and we spent three years there. My father's career was in uh, rural electric uh, associations. And so uh, we spent three years in North Dakota when he was one of the first systems analysts for the Rural Electric Association National Cooperatives. Then we moved to Indiana, to just south of Indianapolis. And that's kind of where I uh, went to high school and college. Uh, did not come from a farm, but uh, was a town girl, but was certainly exposed to agriculture uh, when we moved to Indiana. So was any part of that, just that moving around, do you think that kind of shaped how you approach things in your career? I do. And, you know, I, I think today people are so concerned, you know, about moving kids out of schools and different places in the country. And I believe that that was something that really helped me personally, because every, you know, three years or something, you know, you're heading into a new situation and you have to be somewhat adept. You have to go into a situation with some eyes wide open and understand that there's an opportunity to make new friends. There's an opportunity to learn new things. I feel like that has given me some sense of confidence throughout all of my career, knowing that I can be put into a new situation and somehow make it work out. Not sometimes always the most comfortable, but I can always make it work out. <laughs> I would think that would make you just really resilient in how you approach things. I would hope so. So you went to Purdue, um, which obviously mm -hmm. has a pretty renowned ag college. Which I did not get a degree from. <laughs> <laughs> but did, so did you run into anybody there that kind of made ag interesting to you or was it was how you ended up in agriculture actually happened after that? It actually happened after that. You know, I obviously I had some high school friends that grew up on farms and they went to Purdue to pursue agricultural degrees. And so that was kind of th that connection for me while I was at Purdue. But when I graduated from there, I had the very good fortune of one of the father of, one, of some of my high school friends worked at Elanco. And he helped me get my very first interview at what was then web publishing, selling advertising for beef and national hog farmer. He was the one who helped launch my agricultural career. Wow. <laughs> and so I owe a lot to Mr. Fred Masterson. I didn't realize that's how you'd started out in the field. That's a great story. So how long were you there? I was there a couple of times. Um, I think the first, my first stint, I was there for six years. 
or so. I worked in the Chicago office, then uh, had an opportunity to move our, to our New York office and was there for a year and a half. And while I was there, I, I left that company, but then had an opportunity to move back to Chicago and rejoin them. And so um, I had a couple of stints with, with those titles. So even though you you hopped right into ag for a career, you were in very dense metropolitan areas for all those, yeah. for Chicago, New York, and then back to Chicago. And you're still in Chicago. That's, exactly. You know, and when you meet people, you know, in Chicago or anywhere else and you tell them that you work for, you know, an agricultural media company and you're based in Chicago, the first the first instinct is for people to say, well, there's no farming in Chicago. And, and I have to explain to them that I'm lucky enough to work for the companies and the brands and the advertising agencies that serve farmers and that sell to farmers. And so that's my client base. That's, you know, those are my advertising partners and the people that um, I get to work with every day. What you just said absolutely encapsulates the whole idea of almost any career can touch agriculture. So if you start out with the idea that I think ag is important, I know it's going to solve, you know, our biggest challenge, which is to make sure we've got enough food in the future. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways you can touch agriculture, and you're a perfect example of that. Absolutely, and it's really fun, you know, because I, I, I you find that people are very open to learning about how food gets on their table, how clothes get on their back, and um, and you can open up a lot of eyes, you know, just by being at a party or at a baseball game or anywhere. So in kind of looking at, at the path that you've had so far in your career, were there any big pivotal events that changed the course of what you did or you, you described um, your friend's father getting your first interview? Were there any other instances that just really changed the course of your life? Definitely. Uh, about 10 years into my career, my mother was diagnosed with colon cancer. I watched her deal with the, you know that horrific d- disease with real grace and dignity. That experience helped me gain a real perspective on prioritizing what is important in both life and in work. I am a firm believer that we should all take our jobs very seriously and work to our best capacity. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're worked up about a lot of small things, you kind of need to, I've just learned that you need to step back and take a breath because you need to tackle challenges, you know, from a fresh direction. That really helped me kind of prioritize what was important in life. And of course, you know, at the end of the day and each and every day, sometimes that's all easier said than done. But just having that perspective when you know you're overreacting is a good one. But, you know, that was uh, one of those pivotal moments in my life. Well, I have to ask, how? what was the outcome? Is she a survivor? Unfortunately, she, she passed away at a very young age. She was only 61 when wow. we lost her, and she battled the disease well the first time through, but then she had a recurrence that was not so positive. But boy, in her in her struggle and the way she approached that, it uh, taught me so much, made me a different person. As much as it was, uh, it, it's been a huge loss, it was also a great gift I was given by watching someone deal with such tremendous pain and, and discomfort in such a positive and dignified way. Well, that's a wonderful way to say that, that she gave you that as a gift. An awesome mom, Sherry. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know you're very close with your family, and I would imagine that probably brought you all even closer. You're so right, Sarah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, my parents would be proud. They're uh, both gone now, but, you know, they left a very strong sibling network, and we still all get together, and we have a lot of great times together, even though we're kind of dispersed (laughs) around the country. So you've talked about a few people, um, your family that's important to you, and you'd mentioned some Mm -hmm. of your friends. Can you maybe tell us what or or whom has been most important in your career and and where you've gone or, or when you felt the most supported? I had a manager that was very pragmatic. He he was very analytical. Those are probably not words that would be on the list that would describe me. However, you know, we we just kind of had this yin and yang relationship and he offered me a lot of opportunity. It ended up being just such a great collaborative productive work relationship and it truly advanced my career because it made me realize that not everybody works the same as you do. Not everybody, you know, feels the same way that you do, but you can all come to a common purpose and a common end success by being collaborative, by accepting different viewpoints and and different ways of getting places. And so he was really a very pivotal person in my career. That skill of being collaborative and understanding how to work with other people and, and as you said, you know, being able to accept different viewpoints, it just seems like it's gotten more and more important as time has gone by, at least in our industry, mm-hmm. in the communications industry, for sure, just because the technical pieces of what we need to do are so complicated. Developing that skill when you're early on in your career, that's a big one. It is. And just, you know, and I, I think just being, you know, open to an understanding that people are sometimes going to think and work differently than you. So what do you think your biggest challenge or, or obstacle has been? When I first started out, you know, I was 22 years old and I was coming into, you know, an industry and and a market that there were a lot of established seasoned veterans. I had to kind of start my career, you know, in terms of, you know, baptism by fire. I was very much supported by good management and, and great sales teams. It was not necessarily the fact that I was a woman. I think it was more my age that, you know, kind of threw up some doors for me. As my career progressed, I just never thought about what kind of obstacles do I have to overcome because I was giving such good opportunity. I was working with such good sales teams and great collaborators. I can honestly say that I've I've had a pretty good career that was not filled with a lot of strife. So I'm very lucky. What you're sharing as an example, though, happens to absolutely everybody in that transition from college into your career. Your first mm-hmm. at least one or two positions, you're really going to feel like, oh my goodness, uh, I'm drinking from a fire hose and I where do I even start? <laughs> I think it can seem just really overwhelming. And I don't know, do you have any tips for our audience for how to get past that? I think it was my dad who taught me this, that you really don't know what you you don't know. You just, you know, stop and listen. Try to soak in as much as you can. That can help so much. I think this probably will sound corny to a lot of people, but I feel like practice asking questions. That is a skill that will get you everywhere. You know, if you if you ask the right questions and you listen more than you talk, you'll have information at your fingertips that people want to want to offer you, you know, and to help you move forward. And um, I think that's the one bit of advice that is most important. 
you know, is that whole listen and ask questions. I like your advice that you actually have to practice that, that it's something that you Mm -hmm. work towards. It's a skill maybe you feel like you can develop. Exactly. And I think, you know, I've spent so much of my career in sales. The stereotypical thought of a salesperson is that they're the one doing all the talking. If that is the case, those are not the best salespeople. The best salespeople are the ones who know how to ask the questions and know how to listen and provide the solutions that best serve everybody. So it's a win-win situation. So because I know you as well as I do, I'm also going to add to that, that that you are the consummate relationship builder. You understand how important it is to really dig in, just as you said, and figure out what people need. And that's how you develop those relationships that end up being so important to your success. And you do an awesome job of that. Well, I thank you. I certainly appreciate that. It's it's one of the most enjoyable parts of the job, too. So have you ever been the mentor, Sherry? I know you've talked about a few people that have mentored you mm-hmm. over the years. Yeah. Yeah, and I I actually have never been part of a structured mentor program, but um, I do believe that I have a responsibility to be a role model to people that have less experience. And, you know, it's really gratifying to me to have someone tell me that I've helped them learn to do their jobs better or that they respect the way I work and they want to emulate the way I work. I mean, that to me is extremely gratifying. I also think that you know, kind of mentoring is a two-way street, and whether it's structured or whether it's just, you know, being involved with people who have different levels of experience than you, that can be so beneficial because we can all get into a, a rut and, you know, kind of fall back on the same way we do our work and the same routines, and that can get very stale. I think by, you know, kind of engaging with somebody who has who is new to the business and has fresh eyes, you know, you can take advantage of that new perspective. That may help you think of something that uh, differently than you had previously. Sounds like you can learn just as much from being a mentor as you can from being mentored. That's exactly the the way I feel. Yeah. <laughs> so you had some good advice already for our audience and, you know, that active practice of listening and being a good listener and Um, how much more successful you can be if you can adopt that. Do you have any other advice that you want to share with our audience? Find opportunities to network. Pay attention and take notice of the people that you respect and that you like every day in your life because those type of people that you feel are doing things right are going to be your best guides. That could be someone who is, let's say, more mature (laughs) than you. It could also be your peers. I mean, who are you working with that is in your age or experience group that you feel is really knocking it out of the park? And try to learn from them. It's, you know, we all have, you know, different experiences and different talents. And if we just pay attention and let those kind of people be your guide, you're going to be very, very successful. You mentioned it up front, and I feel like I need to – I really feel like I want to put in a plug for NAMA, the National Agri-Marketing Association, because I think that they provide a tremendous resource for education, for building a network, and establishing kind of some lifelong relationships that can advance your career and your personal life. That is absolutely true. And just so many different ways you can get involved, either on a local level or at, Mm -hmm. at the national level. And you and I are both big fans 
of what Absolutely. can do. And it's a great leadership opportunities, too. It gives you a chance to really expand and do things like public speaking and things that, you know, maybe kind of put you out there where you're a little uncomfortable, but that's where we grow. And I think that, you know, that's probably another bit of advice, and I still push myself with this aspect every day, is that, you know, sometimes you have to move outside of your comfort zone, and you have to kind of do things that aren't the the easiest for you, but I think those provide some really tremendous growth opportunities and eye-opening um, opportunities. And maybe networking makes you nervous, but it can uh, uh, really reap rewards if, they- if you really really work it. Mm-hmm. I think people just need to find you at the next NAMA event, National NAMA event. <laughs> I'd love them to. Follow Sherry around and watch how she does it because she's awesome at it. She remembers everybody. That's so nice of you. <laughs> so let's maybe talk a little bit about where we feel like agriculture is going or where you feel the publishing industry is going and, and mm-hmm. what you're most concerned about within kind of your sphere of influence, where you're at in your career. One of the things that concerns me most, and uh, I think it's universal, and I'm I'm concerned about manpower and this expectation that we need everything faster, we need everything smarter, and we need a, a higher quality, and we all need it now. I worry that that you know, kind of standard is going to burn some people out. In so many businesses today, fewer people are doing more work and the expectations are even higher. And so I think that's that's a big concern of mine. It's a constant battle, uh, managing that work allocation and then, you know, consequently managing the work-life balance. That to me is is one of the biggest concerns I have. I would agree. I see. I feel like we've been seeing that happening for a while. It can be pretty taxing because you keep wondering, where where does this end? <laughs> What's the ultimate right. outcome of the feeling that it's picking up speed as we go? Um, and I've heard it quoted, you know, before that this is if you think technology is changing a lot, it will never be this slow again. Mm-hmm. So what's exactly what's the end game for that? We all need to take a deep breath. <laughs> so and vacations, and vacations, a deep breath and vacations. Yes, yes, that's how we survive all of this. So if you could right. influence one thing in the future, what do you think that would be? Yeah, and I think it relates very much to what we were just talking about. I certainly do not want to sound like an old fuddy-duddy or a technophobe, but. I really in the future would hope that this ever more personal engagement we're receiving on our devices doesn't come at the expense of our actual personal relationships. You know, I just feel that as valuable as technology is, and it's awesome, and it has an ever-present place in our lives, I think that there's a lot more that can come out of of an actual conversation. And so I guess, you know, for me in the future, I would I would like to think that technology can only help us enhance our, our personal engagement with one another. I have the, the same hope. You know, I, I look mm-hmm. at technology and we want it to be, um, we want to be the master of our technology and not the slave to it. Um, and I think, That's a good way to put it. Know, I look at, <laughs> at my own kids that are teenagers still. Gosh, it's always been there for them. It's almost like an extension yeah. of themselves. You know, you can go, you know, into, you know, a restaurant and order at a counter and be waiting for your food. And everybody, it's it's almost second nature to pull out your phone and use your waiting time to, you know, 
be buried in your device. And like I said, I don't want to sound, you know, like a technophobe or, or, or old fashioned, but I do feel like, you know, you could stand next to somebody and say hello to them, comment on what a nice day it is and, and really walk away feeling like you had a really nice personal touch, yeah, you know, to your wait time. Maybe it made somebody's day better. Exactly. When you have stepped aside from your career, which is a quite a ways off, what would you like to be remembered for? I think first and foremost, I would like people to feel like I maintained integrity in my relationships. I've earned the trust of my clients and, and colleagues and friends. It's so important, though, to also feel like we've had a lot of fun and some laughs along the way, you know, and we can get so worked up in getting everything done, but we can also have a lot of fun while we're on the job. And I've been very fortunate in my career to have had good friends that I've had a lot of laughs laughs with, you included, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've all been pretty fortunate, I'd say. Yes. My last question if there's if there's a question out there that you wish someone would have asked you because you've got a great answer to it. I wish somebody would ask me if I could invent something, what would it be? Because I think this invention could revolutionize everyone's lives. And, what is <laughs> and my answer would be I would invent a suitcase that packs itself, has everything you want when you arrive at your destination, but it's also compact and light and portable. (laughs) So that would be my invention. (laughs) I will be the first one in line to purchase one if you can figure out a way to do that. You know, if I start doing my research and get on it, I will give you the prototype. How about that? Awesome. Sherry, thank you so much for all the advice that you gave our young audience. And is there anything that I missed? Are there any questions that maybe you want to circle back to and any other bits of advice that you want to give? I just hope that, you know, my comments are useful and, and lend some insight to anyone who's who's starting in this business or who has also been in it for a while. I'm open to, you mentioned, please have people find me at NAMA events. If anybody wants to uh, get in touch with me, I am available, you know, sherry.seeger at dtn.com. You know, I'd be happy to be a resource to anyone who feels that that I could be. Especially if you're considering a a job in either journalism or in sales or uh, publishing at all, Sherry would be an Mm -hmm. awesome, awesome resource for just anybody because she knows everybody in ag, so any other business too. Maybe 90%. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's super generous of you to give that information out and, and just I would remind our audience a couple of great pieces of advice that you had, which is practice, you know, asking questions and being a good listener. Get that network going as soon as you can. Really great advice. Well, thank you, Sherry, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of Spark. That's Spark for today. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll tune in for the next episode. To learn more about Paulson, please visit paulson.ag. That's P-A-U-L-S-E-N dot A-G.